Welcome to Locally Speaking, a podcast where two elected officials chat about the municipalities and regional districts that make up local governments in BC and how we manage to get anything done at all. I'm Brenda. And I'm Alton. And in today's episode, we want to talk about death taxes and regional districts and how they're all connected. Regional districts are a system of local government unique to BC and consist of 27 geographic areas of the province that act as sort of a federation of municipalities, electoral areas, and First Nation governments. Regional districts are required to provide emergency management and regional solid waste services, as well as governance for unincorporated areas. Beyond those basics, every regional district is unique in terms of what services they choose to take on. Chatting with us today is Director Donna McMahon, serving a second term with the Sunshine Coast Regional District, representing Area E Elphinstone, to talk regional districts. What are they? Why do they even exist? And what are health services when it comes to a regional district? Beyond that, we'll talk a little bit about generational equity and how people's perspective on taxes paid and services received can vary. Donna, thanks for taking some time to sit with us. Uh, It's budget season, which is definitely a busy week coming up for the regional district. What's your background and how did your path lead you to becoming a regional district director? Well, it probably won't surprise either of you to know that I was on the student newspaper at college. Uh, And uh, back when I was a reporter on student newspapers and went to Canadian University press conferences, I noticed a common phenomenon where student reporters who covered student council would get so frustrated with what they saw that they'd quit the newspaper and run for student council. (laughs) Fast forward (laughs) to 2016-18, I was working as a reporter for the local weekly covering the three local governments, the District of Seashelt, the Town of Gibsons, and the SCRD, and watching the antics at my elected board, which was all male at the time, by the way, For years, I had been trying to encourage other women to step up and run for local politics, and finally I decided I had to walk the walk. So I quit my job and I ran for the SCRD. That's fascinating. Where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? Capilano. Capilano College it was back in the day in North Vancouver. Wow, interesting. I I know the era that you're talking about, and... um... There certainly wasn't uh, a female to be seen, so well done. Now, I know at the time that a couple of politicians ran a campaign school for women. Did you attend that? Yes, I did. I attended sort of incognito because I was there as a reporter covering it. Oh, okay. okay. Most of us were telling each other how we weren't really going to run. We were just here yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> She's right. I said the same thing. Oh, yeah, you attended that I as attended. well, didn't you? I did. I attended with Kim Darwin, who was um, our Green Party candidate in the past. And I sat next to Elyria Ladwig, who assured yeah. me she wasn't planning to run. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. I did glean a lot of information from that session, though. Um, So what are some of the things that um, are important to you as an elected official? That's actually a difficult question to answer. Uh, When I first ran, I was very concerned about transparency, accountability, and communication with the public. And one of the things I really wanted to see was that our meetings would be videoed and available. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot has changed in four years. I think we've made quite a few strides although there's still a way to go. The best thing about being at the SCRD 
is that we deal with a lot of bigger picture questions, like the future of drinking water on the Sunshine Coast. It may be contentious, but it's important. Municipalities tend to get bogged down a lot in the minutiae of planning roads and stuff. I, I mean, like debating whether somebody's garage is too close to the property line <laughs> or responding to complaints about bollards come yeah. to mind. Yeah. No idea oh, what you're don't talking about. Don't say the B word, man. <laughs> so the, the frustration of being an electoral area director is that I'm the only local representative for 3,900 people. So I'm almost like the mayor of Elphinstone, and I don't have a staff. I have, you know, really no support. And I spend a very large proportion of my time telling people that regional districts don't do that. I should have a t-shirt that says it. You know, people come to me with concerns about roads and parking. Well, it's the province that does roads and parking in the rural areas. Uh, Stormwater, that's also a provincial jurisdiction. Land use. We have some decisions we can make about land use, but we don't even have final say over subdivision approvals. Right. So, yeah, yeah pretty frustrating. So I guess that begs the question then, if so much is provincial jurisdiction, why should people even care uh, about regional districts or whether they exist at all? Well, I don't know why people should care about pretty much anything. Regional districts, they were invented to fill three main roles. That is, the delivery of regional services, like garbage, a forum for collaboration between different local governments across a region, and basic local government for rural, unincorporated areas. Whether we're successful in doing that is a different question, which is why I did a regional district course and I spent you know, four two-hour segments exploring that very question. This is a common problem across North America. If you look across all the jurisdictions, cities and towns are very similar. Even though they are, they're incorporated under different rules in different provinces and states, the model is very similar. When you leave the incorporated areas, it's a dog's breakfast. Some, right. some provinces, for instance, have no local government for unincorporated areas whatsoever. Others have counties, and counties vary wildly as, mm-hmm. as to what they do and don't do. So the problem is real. All those three needs are there. Does this model meet the needs? Now, do we need regional districts? I would ask you the other question. Do we need provinces? Local government does the important things that we all count on for our daily life, like delivers our water and, in your case, fixes the potholes. Yes. The federal government, well, we wouldn't have money without a federal government and, you know, our army for what it's worth. The provinces in the meanwhile all duplicate each other's efforts. They, they all do health care delivery and they all do it differently. They all do education. They all do it differently. They all do wills and powers of attorney so that if you move from one province to another, your, your power of attorney and your will are now invalid and you have to make it again. I mean, this makes no sense to me. Like, why should you have to have a driver's license from the province when this is a country and your, your driver's license right. is valid right across the country? Shouldn't it be federal? So why do we have provinces? That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. We should, uh, we should make sure we bring Donna back when we talk to our uh, MLA and our MP. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
So Donna, you referenced the courses that you um, taught on regional district basics. How did that go? Was there anything that surprised you from the people that attended? Well, I did teach a course. It was initially for Elder College, and it was entitled A Highly Opinionated Introduction to Regional Districts in Four Parts with Diverse Digressions into the Nature of Grassroots Democracy, Rural Idiosyncrasies, and the Property Tax Apocalypse. I love it. <laughs> it, it, it actually went very well. Um, it sold out the first time I did it, and it sold out again the second time I did it. Uh, independently. So that was probably the first thing that surprised me. That more So how than, many people would that have been? Uh, the first class was uh, stopped at 50 and had a waiting list. And the second class, I think I had 65 people. That's amazing. That's awesome. That, that should be a model. And were they all <laughs> local or did you have people attending from out of the region? It was mostly local people, but okay. the great thing about teaching a course on Zoom is that I could bring in guest speakers from yeah. all across the province, yeah. and that was wonderful. That was really, really interesting, and it's probably worth doing the course again just to do that, to hear from these different people. So that, give, give me an example of who you had as a guest. Well, Sarah okay. Fowler yeah. was, was one guest, although she's not you know really regional district, but mm -hmm. it was too much fun. I had Jen McCutcheon, mm -hmm. who is the Area A Director for Metro Vancouver mm -hmm. Regional District. That's the only rural area. And uh, her... Well, to I call think, it a rural area is a bit of a well, stretch, right? Yes. It isn't really a rural area. What it is is all the leftover bits and pieces of Metro Vancouver that aren't incorporated. So, like, the Lions yeah. are in her area. And uh, um, some of the islands in the Fraser River and uh, the UBC endowment lands. And it's, it's, a, it's a funny hodgepodge of, of areas up around like Pitt Lake, uh, areas like that. But she has, I think it's 20,000 people. You don't quote me on that because I can't remember. And she has three staff, three dedicated staff at Metro Vancouver who work for her. Wow. And so, you know, you go from there and then I had Sally Watson from um, Thompson Nicola Regional District and, uh, you know, that's a, that is a completely different world. They're all different, aren't they? Every single They're, regional district. And the more research I do, the more I discover how different they are. And you can, you can chop it up different ways. Like I have graphs showing the different sizes and the different numbers of people on the board. The smallest board is five people and the largest board I think is 31. Wow. Uh, and you can, so you can look at it that way. You can look at it in terms of geography, the biggest regional districts, or population. But then recently, I started looking at the size of the budget, which is, which is a much more difficult thing to actually dig down into and find. But our regional district, we're one of the smallest ones in the province in terms of population, geography, number of directors, so forth. But we're actually in the mid-range in terms of budgets because we offer a lot of large services. Mm. Like we handle the regional water service, we handle regional recreation, which in many regional districts it's municipal. Recreation right. is municipal. Uh, we are also the operator for the transit system as well as being the funder. So we have a relatively large organization and a large budget, certainly compared to the population. Hmm. I wanted to, uh, just getting back to the, uh, the people that attended your courses, how engaged were they? Like, did, was there 
opportunities for them to ask questions of you or, or people and did did you get a lot of uptake on that? I got quite a bit of uptake. There were quite a few questions. Zoom was a little newer then. I noticed that every time I do something on Zoom, people are a little more a little familiar more with it and yeah. a little more comfortable in that setting. Um, they were, I still get comments. People will say, oh, I took your course. People were interested. Nobody knew anything about regional districts, but I expected that. That's why I invented the course. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and people were really interested in the interviews with, with other elected folks across BC because they were impressed mm -hmm. by how many um, intelligent, thoughtful, committed people are out there in public service in a pretty thankless role that pays well, what do you guys get paid? Dollar forty nine an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you've calculated it or well, paying attention. Well, I said to Alton after listening to his RD schedule that he's probably getting about thirty cents an hour right now. But I ask because engagement is kind of a little bit of a it's something that fascinates me um, because we can't seem to uh, satisfy the want from the public. Um, even when we think we're engaging, it doesn't feel like people are hearing us. And uh, so, you know, I love that both of your courses um, sold out. So how can we turn something like budget engagement into something that fascinates people as much as Donna McMahon? Well, That's I did do a presentation for my community association, which is also a page on my website called yeah. The Five Horsemen of the Property Tax Apocalypse. And, you know, I laid it right out. So it's dramatic. It's horrifying. Um, people felt grateful uh, afterwards that things weren't worse than they were. Um, but government's boring. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Government should be boring anyways. I mean, you don't want a lot of excitement in government. Well, yes, but government uses language right. that is really dull and impenetrable. Sort of like policy speak? Yeah. 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 And, and all these, I don't know. It's a garbage dump for heaven's sakes. It is not a landfill. It's not like there was a hole there that needed to be filled up with garbage. It's, what's the other one? Wastewater management. Nobody knows that's a sewer. Oh, and you guys have a water resource center. Nobody actually <laughs> knows that's your sewage treatment plant. I know. I, I hear that actually all the time. They think it's a magical place that you can go get water. Well, it's actually interesting because, you know, that's one of the things I had notes on here. I alluded to it in the introduction, health services. What business does the regional district have being in health services? Isn't that a provincial thing? Well, what are health services actually, Donna? Well, in fact, there is two answers to that question. Uh, the, the first answer is that in my area, in Area E, when we pay into health services, we are paying for cemeteries two cemeteries, uh, which, you know, <laughs> that's... If you're, if you're relying on those for health services, uh, you've done something wrong, but, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's our end of health services. Yeah. In Pender Harbor, however, they actually have a health center that is mostly funded by the provincial government, but is partly funded by the regional district because the residents really, really wanted it. And if we were not providing that extra bit of funding, probably it wouldn't be there, 
And it's clearly a community priority. So under the flexible uh, model that we have with regional districts, they decided to fund their health center. And, you know, good for them because it is. It's a very high priority in Pender Harbor. Definitely. Yes. Speaking of someone who used to work there, people would be traveling down that road for simple dressing changes, simple blood work if it wasn't there. So it is very important to that community. He went down the health services road. But what I was going to point out to everybody, because I think you, out of any elected official on the Sunshine Coast, do a great job with engaging with your constituents. (laughs) We all just piggyback off your newsletter and share it and say, look what's new at the RD, um, according to Donna's newsletter. So do you want to speak to that a bit? Yeah, well, what I do for engagement is I report monthly to my community association at the meeting. I give a verbal report. And one thing I do that I think makes a big difference is I respond as promptly as I can to telephone and email inquiries because I have found that people really like a quick reply, even if it's not the answer that they wanted. They, they appreciate you getting back to them immediately. But the two big tools I use um, are my monthly newsletter and my website. And I'm just fortunate that I have a background in writing and publishing and Mm -hmm. a lifelong interest in communicating in plain English. Yeah. And it stands me in good stead when people are wondering what on earth is going on. Um, People really appreciate having bureaucraties translated into language they can understand. So uh, that's, you know, that's the easy part of it for me because yeah. that's, that's going to my strengths. Right. The part that I don't like as much is, is going out in public, you know, meet and greet, um, right. cutting ribbons, kissing babies. I don't do that. I just don't. It, it, hilarious. it takes a certain yeah. personality to be, to be interested in going out there and kissing babies and doing the photo ops and you kind of like that you're good at that uh, not not as much as i think some people think i do but you know it's, it is important <laughs> of course yeah. some people are naturals at it right Lori yeah. is a natural she's she's just very very good at it yep yeah that would be true do you getting back to the people that reach out to you do you have any idea around how many calls you average a month or emails or you tracked any of that just out of interest sake or does even the thought of tracking it horrify you slightly (laughs) (laughs) no i haven't tracked it Mm -hmm. um if if i had to guess because mileage varies enormously right as you well know it'll be quiet for a week or two and then suddenly it's like the phase of the moon or something everybody's got a question so I, I would say that I probably get several emails a day. Um, oh, wow. And uh, phone calls, not as much. Uh, I don't encourage it because I'm more of an email person. Some yeah. people right. are phone yeah. people, some people are email people, and some people are text people. And you just have to sort that out. But I do, yeah, I do get a lot of inquiries. And this is why the website is a godsend because... You know, I feel personally like I'm front counter BC, an unpaid service of the provincial <laughs> government. And I get the same questions time and time again. Who do I call for roads? Who do I call for this? 
Who do I call for that? How do I find out what the what the maintenance level of my rural road is? Right. And so I've just put up a page that that gives the instructions of how you find the maintenance level. And I have a page on my website that explains how to pay your taxes by monthly installment, which incidentally is one of my complaints about the SCRD is that I think that we should be much more aggressively encouraging people to get on monthly installment plans because taxes are one of the last bills left in the whole world that a lot of people pay on an annual basis. Yeah, for sure. That's true. Like if if you had to spend, fork over $4,000 for a phone and a plan for a year or two, would you do it? No, of course. Yeah, I mean, or you'd complain about it the whole time. Uh, you'd, you'd be hugely <laughs> indignant. But everything else, everything. I pay for my ICBC monthly. So, yeah. um, you know, and, plan, and it's possible to set up rural yeah. taxes on monthly payment plan and even utilities. You can set those up too. I wonder if people would, you know, if your taxes go up, uh, 10 bucks a month or $120 a year. I wonder whether um, psychologically you wouldn't be as horrified by the monthly increase as opposed to a yearly increase. Do you know what I mean? Right. That like, $10 versus $100. a month. I'll pay $10 yeah. a month for it's just a couple of coffees. For whatever X or Y or Z is, whereas $120 a year sounds. I wonder. I don't. It, it sounds a lot more. I, I actually sat down and added up what I pay for various things. Like how much do I pay a year in taxes? How much do I pay for insurance? Because uh, home insurance is getting, it's going through yes. the roof. Oh, for sure. yes. uh, Holy Moses. How much do I pay to operate a vehicle? How much do I pay, you know, for, for all these different things and compare them. And uh, how much do we pay for our phones? The two of us, we have two phones and two phone plans, right? Right. I think we end up paying more for that than we do for for taxes, property taxes. But because it comes in one horrifying lump sum, people freak out, unless they're paying it on their mortgage. Right. And and in that case, they tend not to even notice it. No, that's a good point. I know that uh, there was a couple of years where I was doing the monthly installments thing, and I I didn't even have a plan set up. It was just transfer some money to the account as I thought to, right? Um, Let's talk about generational equity. What are we trying to get across with that term? Okay, I have a big lecture on generational equity. The infrastructure in this country was mostly built during the economic boom years after World War II, and we built it like there was never going to be a tomorrow. Governments did not set aside funds for repair or replacement of dams, bridges, highways, dikes, water mains, or pretty much anything else. Now it's all aging out, and we are facing huge costs, as both of you know. Mm-hmm. But the taxes that citizens paid all those decades ago were kept artificially low because we were borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. We were taking the money from constant expansion to pay our operating costs and not putting anything aside for the long-term costs that were associated with that expansion. That's called a pyramid scheme. And now we are in the collapse phase of our pyramid scheme. So taxpayers who are older, 
say over 60, enjoyed the benefits of all these public services like water and fire protection for years for unrealistically low taxes. Now, as we all know, property values have inflated. Seniors also bought their first homes years ago when housing was way more affordable than it is now. So for younger people, they're getting crunched by soaring costs because incomes have not grown at the same rate as housing or university education being another good example of something that has really, really gone up in cost. At the same time, most seniors are sitting on this huge capital asset, their home. So I've been in this house here for 20 years, and in that time, my assessment has risen Anybody want to take a guess on what percentage my assessment has gone up in 20 years? Oh, boy. 800. I don't know. I was going to say 1,000. Yeah. Oh, well, it's not that bad. It's 658%. Okay. Is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And in the same period, my taxes, and this is excluding this year's budget, my taxes went up 152%. Yeah. Hmm. So seniors have a large fixed asset to fall back on. They qualify for tax deferment. And since most seniors are mortgage-free, they also have the option of lines of credit or reverse mortgages. So now that all the consequences of the last 60 years are landing on us, those of us who enjoyed the prolonged tax vacation should be paying our share. That's a great perspective. That is a great perspective. I've actually never heard it put all together like that the question is how do you get people to recognize that when the tax bills come out i don't have an answer to that. or even you know during (laughs) budget season when Mm -hmm. we're contemplating Mm -hmm. our our needs and for the next year Mm -hmm. yeah i sometimes ask people you know how big was your first mortgage Mm -hmm. and then i ask them to try and imagine having a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage yeah it's frightening It's absolutely frightening. You did ask me about what I hear about taxes, which is, you know, a fair bit. Although, honestly, I'll say that the the property tax apocalypse certainly uh, set my constituents back and um, it forestalled a lot of complaints. Um, There's a big disconnect between the services that people receive and their taxes. So, you have probably heard people say that the SCRD doesn't do anything. Yeah. So that's why I have a list on my website of all the services we deliver in my electoral area. And I'm going to list some of them off. Okay. okay? Drinking water, transit, parks, playgrounds and neighborhood trails, swimming pools, skating rinks, community halls, libraries, fire departments, cemeteries, and bylaw enforcement. And that even doesn't even include the two services we're required to provide, which is planning services like building permits and things like that, and solid waste, which is our landfill. So, and we also provide, of course, garbage pickup, curbside pickup, and recycling. So when you consider everything that you're getting, and you average it out over the year, what you're paying per day for all of these services, Frankly, I think it's a, it's a deal. I mean, if private industry was doing this, you would be paying a very great deal more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. We have delegations coming to us all the time asking for more services. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't think I've ever seen a delegation come to the SCRD table and ask us to cut a specific service. Yeah. They'll say cut taxes. Right. But if you but don't get, dare cut their services to do so. Right. It's hard. You know, when you read that list off, it, it really does put into perspective that there are regional districts that provide the bare minimum and everything else is private industry or... Private industry or improvement districts. That's another yeah. wonderful example. But the improvement districts are gradually folding up their tents across the province because they can't keep up. It's too expensive to try and deliver the service, uh, especially with the regulatory environment increasing all the time. The last um, water improvement district left standing on the Sunshine Coast is Hopkins Landing. Right. And they're just about done. Just about ready to be folded into regional water. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What's something you wish could be changed about the Local Government Act? You don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can always break this into more than one episode. <laughs> that that actually is a whole different set of questions, and mm-hmm. I haven't really had time to dive into it. There's a lot of problematic things in regional district legislations. Uh, alternate directors is a wonderful one. That comes up all the time. Right. Uh, but one of the ones that I really, really dislike is the restriction against moving money between functions. Mm-hmm. The intention was to make local government accountable. But Number one, I don't think it works because you can set up your functions in such a way that you obfuscate what's going on. And in the meantime, it makes us cumbersome and unable to react to rapidly changing situations. And it ends up costing money because our budgeting process is such a nightmare. As, as the chair of the about-to-be-budget <laughs> meetings can, can attest to. And we can't even have a general contingency fund, which municipalities have. And I think that's loony. Yeah, makes no sense. It really is one of the critical critical differences, I think, between regional districts and municipalities, right? The fact that in a municipality, we can move money around if we have to. Or I know that, you know, at least in Seashelt, we're trying to do a little bit more dividing of our services. Like we're trying to isolate our sewer. We're trying to isolate our septage receiving. Um, to become a little bit more like the regional district model. With a goal of really understanding what they're costing us, though. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. We still have the flexibility to yeah. move money around if we need to. Yeah. The goal is transparency. I love yeah. the goal. Yeah. And and being, being accountable for what you are spending on each service. Yeah. But, for instance, our four recreation facilities... Uh, on the lower coast are all lumped together in one horrendous big ugly ball of wax and we don't know what it costs to run each of those facilities which is ridiculous they need to be separated out because you can't if you can't measure it you can't manage it how can you make decisions especially long-term decisions based on not knowing um i wanted to ask you because you're now a representative on avicc Right. How has that experience been? Okay, first we better define it. The Association of Vancouver Island and Coastal Communities. And it is the regional association for local governments. It's interesting in some ways. 
my primary interest in an organization like that, apart from the networking and the education that you get out of any of these associations, is advocacy with senior government. But realistically, there is very little advocacy going on. We have one employee, and she spends the majority of her time just operating the association right. and planning the annual conference. Mm -hmm. I had a suspicion going into this job that it's like getting elected to student council and discovering that all you do is decorate the gym for the high school <laughs> dance. <laughs> yeah, I kind of saw that coming. Right. There's not a lot you can do without resources behind it in some form, whether they're human or financial, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is a lack of resources. That's part of it. The other thing is it is pretty difficult to get concurrence between a lot of local governments mm. because the needs vary according to the size and type of local governments and your geographic location and the challenges you face and your politics especially at the provincial level at UBCM. We had last year at UBCM over 200 resolutions went to UBCM, many of them on similar subjects, like housing yeah. was, a, was a big topic right now, right? But you have all these different resolutions and they may be aimed at the same problem, but they all have different solutions and in many cases, conflicting solutions. So it's difficult to kind of herd all those cats together and form a common cause. And then, of course, what invariably happens is that the larger governments, and especially the municipalities, um, steer, the, steer the boat. And uh, regional districts do not get much attention. Our, our, uh, our needs are not well represented, in my opinion. And in fact, I find that even the policy staff at UBCM and I hope they aren't listening to this, um, do not understand regional districts. They don't. Right. Seriously, the people who wrote the regional district legislation all lived in places like Vancouver and Victoria. Like mm -hmm. the, the lower left-hand corner of this province runs the whole show. Yeah. Two-thirds of the population is within a short distance of Vancouver and Victoria. Yeah. And once their needs are met, the rest of us can go whistle because the provincial government doesn't need the votes. So it's always going to be a really challenging situation. Do you think proportional representation would change that? Hmm. I've never actually thought about that question. I don't know. For future reference. That's an interesting question. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, but to sit around a table and try and contemplate changes or alternatives, you know, we know that the community charter was rewritten many years ago now, but the Local Government Act never followed even though it was supposed to. It was supposed to. The government committed to it in 2002. Right. But the Local Government Act that we, that the regional districts operate under now is was originally written what year? 1965, more or less. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tweaks and changes and updates can only get you so far. Yes. That's even older than our zoning bylaw was. Yeah. It's, it's older. <laughs> our legislation is older than a BC ferry. Right. Oh, there, there you go. When you asked that question, Alton, um, you also had said, are there changes coming that people should be aware of? So is it in process of being rewritten? Has it, do you know? 
There is a move afoot to try to get the government to put the legislation back on the agenda. We've just had another cabinet shuffle, and I don't know where it's going. Because the previous Minister of Municipal Affairs, Josie Osborne, understood the situation extremely well. Yeah. Um, The new minister, I think, not so much so. And I understand the government has a lot of conflicting priorities. So the priorities of the approximately half million people who live in unincorporated areas always get to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. And those are the people who are primarily affected by the dysfunctional regional district legislation. That makes sense. It's not good news, but it makes sense. Yeah, I'm good at delivering bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, is there anything else you want to share about regional districts that people may not have known or realized? Hmm. Any nuggets? Um, They are so poorly understood that many people who live in unincorporated areas don't even know they have a representative. I interviewed Sally Watson, Mm-hmm. And when she ran in the early 2000s, everybody in the area thought the position was appointed because there hadn't been an election. The fellow had been acclaimed every year for like 20 years, and then he'd picked a friend of his to run, and then he'd just put in his papers and gotten acclaimed every, every election since, and nobody knew that there was supposed to be an election. So wow. it's, um, it's a challenging system at times. It's frustrating. There's a lot of big issues around land use in much of the province. Okay, so there are four core services that are that we are required to deliver. Anybody remember what they are? This is the pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Landfills. Well, yeah. excuse me, solid waste management. Solid waste planning, interestingly planning. enough. Okay. I looked that up, yeah. So we can plan it, but I don't know if we have to deliver it. Perfect. Isn't it planning in general? Planning in general, correct. Did you give a quiz when you ran your course? Yes, I gave lots of quizzes. <laughs> did you? Did yes. you do a... Sorry, I meant to ask this before. Did they get a certificate or anything? No, I didn't give a certificate. I guess I should have. Next but time. I, I did have pop quizzes because you can do that on Zoom and it's kind of fun. For sure. Okay. Um, yep. Emergency preparedness. That's Emergency right. planning, yeah. that's yeah. correct. While the other one is, is, is kind of... It's, it's basically the administration. Right. Because... Oh, okay. Holding yeah. elections, corporate services, corporate that, service. yeah. that kind of thing. So those are the four. Most people are surprised to discover that water is not one of them. So regional districts can take on just about any service so long as they get elector approval, usually through a referendum, although there is an alternate approval process. But as one example, in 1993, there was a referendum in Gibsons and areas E and F and D, I believe, to fund the new Gibson's Library building. And there was also a referendum to fund the ongoing operation of that library, which is what they didn't do in Seashell, which is how Seashell ended up in a mess, but that's that's another thing. Um, But the kind of services regional districts do, common services are garbage collection, water supply, sewers and septic systems, parks, fire protection, and transit. Yeah. Less common services are recreation centers because in many areas, those are municipal. Ports and docks and marinas. Powell River, actually, I think it's the city of Powell River operates a marina. And right. we operate ports 
and docks in the Sunshine Coast. Economic development, airports. Central Coast Regional District is the smallest regional district in BC by population. And it only has, I think it's like 3,000 people. Wow. But they run airports because it's absolutely critical for transportation in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, affordable housing, there's, there's, I think, now two regional districts oh, really? that have gone okay. into that. Yep. Um, drainage. Weed control. Weed control. Street lighting. We okay. do that. Cemeteries. We do that. Tourism. And my favorite, high-speed internet. Yes. Yes. That's a growing initiative. Yep. And that's, uh, I believe that's Mount Waddington Regional District that was leading the charge on that. So, you know, there's, there's a pretty wide range out there. And this, I think, actually is the best thing about the Regional District model is that you are flexible to take on services to meet mm -hmm. local needs. In terms of delivering democracy to unincorporated areas, I, I would have to say that it's a, I'd give it about a D. <laughs> it's, it's really not very good. Right. But you can take my whole course and find out why. Uh, so you don't have dates for the next one? I don't. You... I haven't, I, I have been uh, actually thinking of doing a super short version that I could put up as a video. The um, oh, okay. extremely yeah. short and opinionated introduction to regional districts by a short and opinionated regional <laughs> director. <laughs> That's awesome. hilarious. But in the meantime, until you announce that next course, uh, you do have a lot of good information on your website, which is? Everythingelfinstone.ca. Thank Perfect. you for the advertisement. I forgot to give it. But... Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Yes, you can find lots of information about how to pay your taxes, why seniors shouldn't whine about paying property taxes, the five horsemen of the property tax apocalypse, lots of stuff. All my newsletters for the past four years. Right on. Good things that people can take advantage of, not just here, but from other places yeah. as well. You provide a template, Donna, on um, the job that you do. So as a municipal representative sitting at a regional district table, what's your take on the whole thing? Hmm. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought other than to whinge and complain about the impending agenda doom that we have facing us this coming week. I find the inflexibility of the regional district model to be quite frustrating compared to municipalities. Not just the moving of money, but even the moving of staff resources or getting people that may not be part of a normal team to be able to pull them in and utilize them. The municipalities obviously serve a very good purpose providing those services where they do, and it makes a lot more sense for there to be more incorporation, I think, in the province than we currently have going on. Like we've got so many regional districts that are taking on so many things that it, they really, I don't have the same background that you do in terms of the, the history and the, the lookups and the research that you've done regarding regional districts, but I'm, I'm surprised that regional districts aren't more staying with the basics and letting the areas that really want lots of services just incorporate. There have been very few incorporations in BC in the last 20 years. Almost none. If you, There's been a couple of oddball ones like Sun Peaks, resort right. municipality but almost every restructure or incorporation referendum has failed and there was one recently too yes and it failed 95 percent no vote wow yes uh. 
That and is a definitive. It, it is because the responsibilities and the legislative requirements for municipalities have just steadily increased and increased and increased over the years. And the problem is that it's an almost insurmountable burden for small areas. My personal completely off the cuff number on this is that you need at least a population of 10,000 to be able to afford to operate a municipality. Back in the day, like I think Gibson's had 300 people when it incorporated, wow. but it didn't it didn't need to do much. Yeah, right? it didn't their the legislative requirements and were just not there. Yeah. yeah. And they weren't delivering any services to speak of. Not yeah. that I'm aware of anyway. But these days the requirements are huge and the and a lot of the requirements are the same regardless of the size of the municipality. So every every area that's looked into it, Pender Harbor has looked into it at least twice. Okay. They've thought of incorporating at least twice, but they don't have the tax base. So every now and then, well not every now and then, quite often actually, the topic of one government on the Sunshine Coast pops up. That might be a topic for another complete podcast, but... Uh... It would be. Have you counted how many governments we have now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that um, people necessarily understand the ramifications of what one government would mean, but do people ever come forward? Oh, yes. That, yeah. that subject does come up fairly regularly. Yeah. yeah. So your area didn't want to join with Gibsons, but they want one government for the coast? It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, Brenda, I think that would that yeah, be an interesting conversation. Get some people around the table and, and uh, yeah. have well, a conversation about The that. other reason that nobody wants to incorporate is the state of our roads. Who like, wants to inherit that? Nobody wants yeah. to take it on. For because sure. as you well know, our provincial roads have been maintained on a break-fix basis for 30 years. And none of the long-term maintenance have, has been done. The culverts haven't been inspected or replaced. The, the roads are literally crumbling. And this represents a massive liability. Yeah. And no local government in their right minds wants, wants to touch it with a barge pole. Well, even in Seashelt, all of our expensive road repairs tend to be out in the fringes in what used to be provincial roadway. Yeah. Before Seashelt yeah. amalgamated in 1986, right? And so... You get one rotting down log or stump or something that was just bulldozed as a logging road back in the day, and there's your road repair budget for the year sunk literally into one hole. Yes. And, uh, you know, we have a famous one here in Elphinstone, the S-Bend on Gower Point Road. The, whole, the road is just sliding off an embankment. Yeah. And it needs millions in repairs. So in the um, recent referendum in, I can't remember where it was, right, right at the moment, in the interior, they asked Modi for an estimate of the condition of the roads, and Modi told them that the roads were all in good or very good condition. So they then hired an engineering firm and got <laughs> a different estimate, and the engineering firm came back and said that all the roads were in poor to very poor condition. <laughs> And that it would take millions to bring them up to standard. Yeah. And the province actually did say that they committed to, mm -hmm. to fund bringing those roads up to standard. Taxpayers may have been skeptical, and I don't blame them. 
we'd like to thank you for spending a couple hours with us this afternoon. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Locally Speaking, a podcast where two local government officials chat about our regional districts and municipalities that make up local government here in BC. If you aren't following our podcast yet, you can subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. Maybe you have a topic suggestion for the show, or you want to come and chat with us about what's going on in your area of the province. Drop us a line at locallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com and let's make it happen. This episode of Locally Speaking is recorded on the traditional territory of the Squamish Nation.